This is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Support for the legislature today is provided by Marshall University, committed to teaching, research, and professional training with degree programs in multiple locations and online. More about the Marshall family at marshall.edu. Embassy Suites by Hilton Charleston, an all-suite hotel and conference center minutes from Yeager Airport and Capital Market. Reservations and brasserie dining information available at hilton.com. Segra, providing fiber-based communication solutions. Segra, freedom to grow. More information at segra.com. Welcome back to the legislature today. I'm Bob Runner. Thanks for joining us. Senate Bill 128, clarifying the authority of the governor and legislature to proclaim and declare a state of emergency and preparedness, passed the House today 93 to 3. The Senate had already passed the bill on the opening day of the session. Efforts by senators and delegates to limit the governor's emergency powers began in last summer's interim sessions. The issue surfaced during the COVID-19 pandemic when Governor Jim Justice only lifted the emergency order at the end of 2022. It lasted much longer than many lawmakers would have preferred. During the floor session, delegates voiced concerns that irrevocable damage could have already been done. During the emergency order, they identified concerns about the perils of micromanaging during a state of emergency and worried that the language in one failed amendment might allow for citizens to hoard resources during a snowstorm due to the limitation of the governor's powers. The House adopted a key amendment that limits the governor's use of his powers to 30 days afterward. Everything is subject to legislative review. It gives the legislature more power over the time and definition of the emergency. It toughens the definitions of state emergency and state preparedness, and it removes the executive authority to suspend or limit the sale, dispensing, or transportation of alcoholic beverages. Delegate Pat McGeehan, Republican from Hancock County, says there was a learning curve gain during the pandemic. The bill before us uh, that addresses these so-called emergency powers with the executive. It has really nothing to do with personalities. It really has nothing to do with um, um, certain factions uh, within this chamber or within the chamber across the hall or within the personalities downstairs. It really has to do with uh, certain ideas. And that's what I usually gravitate towards, ideas. And the idea really is that um, we really, in going forward in the future, cannot um, abide by something that is rather antithetical to the American tradition. And that is, uh, to sort of simplify it, one man rule in perpetuity. The bill now goes back to the Senate after being amended in the House to see if they can reach agreement on the changes. 
The Senate today passed a bill that would allow the concealed carry of handguns on all the state's university campuses. Reporter Chris Schultz has more. Thank you, Mr. President. Uh, the uh, committee substitute for Senate Bill 10 uh, creates the Cam West Virginia Campus Self-Defense Act. Senate Bill 10 uh, allows holders of concealed handgun permits to carry concealed on all of the state's higher education campuses, regardless of existing restrictions. The bill passed the Senate with 29 yeas and four nays. Senator Mike Maroney of Marshall joined Senate Democrats in voting against the bill. The bill advanced quickly through the Senate, passing out of the Judiciary Committee less than a week ago on January 18th. Judiciary Chair Senator Charles Trump of Morgan took a moment to clarify what he called misinformation about the bill that had been disseminated in the past week. So let me pause there for a second. This authority applies only to people who have a valid concealed carry permit or the 18-year-old, uh, the permit, provisional permit we created for people between 18 and 21. In other words, it requires everyone to undergo training. They have to have firearms training because you have to have that to get the permit. This does not apply to, you know, we created what has been referred to as constitutional carry or a permitless carry a few years ago where any adult citizen in West Virginia who uh, has the legal right to own and possess a firearm can carry. Provisions of this bill do not apply in that context. In a repeat of the committee meeting, Senator Mike Caputo of Marion stood in opposition to the bill. I rise in opposition to this, uh, Mr. President. I, uh, I think it's a bad idea. I think it's a bad idea to basically encourage uh, folks to carry weapons on campus. Uh, I just don't know why we would want to put our youth in an atmosphere such as that. And if you look at who doesn't like this bill, you know, domestic violence advocates hate it. The WVU student government passed a proclamation saying they didn't want it. I heard from the faculty senate that said they should leave it up to the institutions. Caputo stated that the bill functionally allowed the gun lobby to control the rules and regulations of higher education facilities in West Virginia. Marshall University and West Virginia University released a joint statement against the bill shortly after the committee meeting last week. But Caputo also cited comments from Concord University, West Virginia State, and Shepherd University. And they also said if enacted, this legislation would require our universities to make significant new investments in our public safety and security operations to include the addition of new law enforcement personnel equipment and infrastructure to ensure compliance with the intent of this legislation and to safeguard the security of our campus. They estimate that it could cost state colleges and universities up to $11.6 million, which we did not provide in this piece of legislation. As under-resourced institutions that continue to adapt to the economic challenges of the COVID-19 pandemic, we simply do not have the financial resources to implement and administer the requirements of Senate Bill 10. The bill's lead sponsor, Senator Rupi Phillips of Logan, pointed out 11 other states have already passed campus carry laws, and he wants West Virginia to be the 12th. Phillips said the House of Delegates is eager to receive Senate Bill 10. For the legislature today, 
I'm Chris Schultz. All session long, organizations from around the state set up displays in the Capitol Rotunda to advocate for their individual causes. Tuesday was Veterans Administration Day. Chris Schultz caught up with some of the state's retired service members. Dozens of veterans, veteran service organizations, and support organizations were in the legislature Tuesday. William Elkins is the state commander for West Virginia for the Disabled American Veterans. The organization helps disabled veterans apply for and receive benefits, as well as driving them to appointments and keeping them active in the community. Elkins said what he calls Veterans Visibility Day is necessary to let legislators know what veterans need. It needs to be done and we need more veterans to come out and participate with it. If we don't keep our voices heard by showing up at these doorsteps and getting them to listen what we need, because only veterans know what veterans need, and without those voices, it's hard to get anything done. Numbers mean everything. Elkins said he would like to see the legislature help veterans not only stay in West Virginia, but also attract new veterans with action on issues like education and property taxes. Rick Shank stood shoulder to shoulder with his fellow Marine Corps League members, William Lipscomb and Scott Kirby, outside of the Senate chambers Tuesday. He said he's excited to see action on the Beckley Nursing Home and veterans' benefits in general, but like William Elkins, one of his biggest concerns is involvement from his fellow veterans. You know, they talk about the PACT Act and all these benefits. Well, we wouldn't have those if it wasn't for uh, veteran service organizations like uh, the American Legion, the VFW, the Marine Corps League, and all of our organizations. Uh, we need support from our fellow veterans that can come out and support us. If they can't be active, that's one thing, but numbers count in our units, and we need support on our numbers. For the legislature today, I'm Chris Schultz. With little discussion, the Senate Education Committee moved forward with Senate Bill 251 that would require posters in all state-supported schools displaying the U.S. motto, In God We Trust. The posters have to be donated and can only include images of the state and U.S. flags. So this, in my opinion, is, uh, this is my bill, this is my idea, I just love it. And, uh, you know, you have a, an era of a lot of polarization and balkanization in the culture, but this is something that will unite, will unite folks. And God We Trust is in the fourth stanza of our national anthem. It was added uh, uh, as a national motto by Truman, uh, not Truman, Eisenhower and the uh, same president who put under God in the Pledge of Allegiance. So um, I just uh, I think it'll be a, a great thing for our state and for our kids. When Governor Jim Justice signed House Bill 4479 last March, he established the Coalfield Communities Grant Facilitation Commission. It's a long title but a specific objective, funneling federal and private dollars to revitalize coalfield communities. The state is obliged to match local grants and help apply for and administer them, neither of which is easy. Government reporter Randy Yowie has followed this story from the very beginning. He spent time recently in Madison, the Boone County seat, where they're looking forward to the commission's help. Deanna Howell says when she opened her Southern Pineapple Boutique on Madison's Main Street, complete with a tin ceiling from the old Boone County Lumber Company, she knew she wouldn't make a fortune. She says she set up shop here to give hope to what many see as hopeless. Main Street to me when I was small was so much fun. There were stores up and down the street, places to go to shop 
you always saw your friends and families next door to where we are now used to be a department store, Ellis's department store. It was fantastic. It was two-sided. They had a shoe department. Madison Mayor Buddy Hudson applauds Howell's pineapple persistence. His concern, it's just too little for too many big challenges on his revitalization list. The top of my list would be some new storefronts on the main street of Madison so we could bring in new businesses and then in turn would bring in tourism. We don't have the funds to take care of those uh, dilapidated buildings that's on Main Street. We don't have any infrastructure in place to get new uh, businesses on our Main Street area. So we're in, we're in need of financial because of this coal severance tax in the city of Madison has been gone for the last four or five years. Revitalizing Madison's Main Street is why the Coalfield Communities Grant Facilitation Commission was created. The Downtown Coal Heritage Museum's potential and needs align word for word with the Commission's mission. Beyond upgrading basic infrastructure, water, sewer, broadband, the Commission is charged with entertaining proposals to preserve or enhance buildings of local historic interest. Museum co-founder Larry Lodato says what once was their $25,000 annual share in coal severance tax funds has dwindled to 2500 If we don't get another penny, we, we, we've got enough money to survive another year here. Our mission statement says it's, it, the museum is alive to preserve the past for future generations. And we have uh, so much memorabilia in this museum, it's unreal. We got a lot of good things that date back to the 1800s. We've got the Battle of Blair Mountains uh, uh, memorabilia. We've got uh, memorabilia from everywhere just about. And the people that bring, the, bring their uh, treasures in, they want to make sure that, that we're covered by insurance. Locals like Lodato enjoy home-cooked lunches at the West Madison Grocery. Locals like former Boone County Sheriff and Delegate Rodney Miller, who knows the challenges involved in finding matching funds for federal and private grants. If you don't have uh, the basic money to operate on, how do you have that extra 10 to 20 percent to match up? Uh, which I mean, it's just simple math. If you, don't, if you don't have the money up front to match for those grant applications, it's not going to fly. Uh, and, and, and it's nothing extraordinary. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a common sense approach. Grocery owner Tony Young would like to expand his business and put some cabins up on the nearby land he owns for the Coalfield ATV trail riders desperate for lodgings. We've got sewer and water problems. We've got drainage problems. We've got uh, buildings that are abandoned that need to be fixed and, and people just don't have the money to do that. It's not just providing the matching funds for these revitalization grants. This commission is charged with providing expert training in applying for and administering the grants. And those are big jobs for small communities. Mayor Hudson says Madison EMS Director Steve Bias pulls double duty to write city grant proposals. He writes our grants for simple things, like I said, they're not simple, but sidewalks and infrastructure drains around our town, but he's a one-man show. He's the only one right now that knows how to write a grant that's on uh, our team. Bias says grant writing help will be invaluable to Caulfield community governments and like Madison. Tough. And I've been turned down for a lot of grants, but towns need help. I'm one person, I do several jobs, and there's just not enough time in the day for me to sit down and put the time into a grant that I need to. We have a swimming pool that has been vacant for years and we wanted to turn it into a recreation area but we just can't do it because we don't have the match to meet uh, the 
the monies or the grants that are out there. 80% of our storefronts now set vacant. Used to be this was a thriving town. But when you come into Madison, the first thing you see is a burnt building on the right, dilapidated buildings on the left. Grocer Tony Young feels the pulse of this community firsthand. You have the rivers, the streams, the hunting, fishing, kayaking. Uh, you can do all of that here, the Hatfield and McCoy trails. If we got the infrastructure to fix the problems that we have and, and revitalize the buildings that are here, help small guys like myself expand and grow their business bigger, it would bring people here. We've got a huge coal heritage or, or history here and people want to come see it, but there's nothing to go with it. You, we need to, to make the town better. Madison's mayor was not familiar with the Coalfield Communities Grant Facilitation Commission before our visit here. Now, he has a clear understanding and a simple request. I would just like to ask the governor to please do what you promised, because the city of Madison needs your help. Thanks, Randy, for coming in and talking to us about this story, the closer look. This, let's go back a little bit. What's the origination of this whole thing? Well, I've been covering this for a couple of years, Bob. It goes back to uh, June of 2021, and I'm going to refer to my notes a little sure. bit because it gets involved. But in June of 2021, House Speaker Roger Hanshaw organized a nonpartisan committee of delegates and sent them down to the coal fields. They had some town hall meetings in some of the coal communities and found out what these places needed to succeed now that coal wasn't the base of their economy. Uh, delegates came back, filled out their report, some legislation came out of it, and what finally came out where a number of their suggestions were didn't fall into line was House Bill 4479 establishing the Coalfield Communities Grant Facilitation Commission. And what's it supposed to be doing? Well, their objective is to funnel federal dollars to revitalize coalfield communities and to assist municipalities and private entities with researching, writing, submitting, and ministering grant proposals. You know, you know this as well as I do, that when these small communities are applying for federal grants, they have to match 20, 30, 40 percent to get that money in. They don't have it. So this is going to have the state use their own money to give to these municipalities to match those grants. And the other part of it is to write a grant. Not easy, as we heard <laughs> in, in, the, in the story. So they're going to supply people to help them write, write these grants as well. Um, and uh, that grant matching bill was passed back in March. And Jim Justice was responsible for appointing the members of the commission. Okay, so it was a law in March of 22. Come 10 months forward, January 23, what's going on? It's a good question. There's still no commission formed. Hmm. Um, we've talked to the governor's office. We've talked to the uh, Secretary of Economic Development, Mitch Carmichael. This is under his purveyance, and he's under the Department of Justice. So I only heard from Roger Hanshaw, who we heard from last week when I did that Q&A with him, and he sent me a little note as of yesterday that Despite the commission not having a shape yet, Speaker Hanshaw said communities are drawing down federal dollars by submitting grant requests on their own, something they're permitted to do. He's happening. That is happening. He says he has sent some of his recommendation names in for members of the commission. And uh, that's as far as I know. The governor's office, Mitch Carmichael's office, won't respond. I got a note from the director of communications for the Department of Commerce, and he said, we are awaiting funding and action by the legislature before providing additional comments. 
Hasn't the legislature done its job? Isn't it now in the executive branch? That's what it seems to me. Um, the, the governor has to do the appointing, and then the Department of Commerce and the Department of Economic Development does the administrating. And, and where it stands, I don't know. I mean, I'm happy that Hanshaw knows that some people are drawing down funds already, but I don't know who those people are. I, I can't get any answers from them on exactly what is happening. And then there's the funding. I mean, early on, Mitch Carmichael told me, as did some of the members of the committee, that a quarter billion dollars would be good just to start as seed money for this commission, which makes sense because it's talking about infrastructure and revitalizing things like the Cold Museum that we saw in the story and, and giving some of these communities a chance to bring some people in and, and organize a place where stores like the pineapple store that the lady had, you know, nice little places like that. You've been to Madison many mm -hmm. times. It, it needs revitalization. Madison and Main Street is mostly empty yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and uh, it's not unique among Coldfield communities. I, I spent some time that down there in my career in life and frankly it's uh, it's pretty dead. Yeah. It really is. I mean we're, we're hearing that also this commission is charged with helping the coal miners themselves that have lost their job. Um, it's providing vocational training for displaced coal miners and others who've lost their jobs or closed businesses in the region. What the problem has been that these training facilities are hundreds of miles away. And yeah, it's they, hard. yeah, the miners are being told to go to Bridgeport for training or go to Clarksburg and that's a couple hundred miles. Right. Yeah. Uh, Carmichael told me when we did this initial story on this after it had passed that um, okay, we're going to take care of that. We're going to mm -hmm. bring the training down to them, maybe some mobile training, a number of things that like they're doing in EMS and so on and so forth. No idea, you know, without even a commission organized yet, who knows if that has happened, is going to happen, might happen, don't know. So the House Speaker has made some recommendations of people to be on the commission, but as far as we now know, there is no commission in terms of human beings. There is not. And, and it look, sounds like the cart before the horse a little bit with some of these communities that know about this, that mm -hmm. have applied and are, as Hanshaw said, drawing down uh, hmm. funds. Drawing down means getting it in your pocket, right? Yeah, and how, and how can you draw down funds if there's no commission and no... It's a good question. Uh, you know, I'm going to pursue talking to the executive branch and to the Department of Commerce and to the Department of Economic Development and find out. You know, Mitch Carmichael said that um, that he thought that the, many of this, well, he, just had, he told me the state promises of Coalfield revitalization have not, have gone unfilled. And his quote was, I think they should have a healthy degree of skepticism and hold us accountable for delivering the promises that are made within this piece of legislation. So that's what I've been trying to do for the last several months since this commission was formed is hold them accountable. As Mitch said, we needed to and find out what's going on. So we're going to continue to do that. It used to be the power balance of this state was with the political machines in the South. Now the power balance has moved to the Eastern Panhandle, and this commission is like it's a party waiting to happen, but nobody's been invited so far. That's exactly right. I mean, we see a lot of discussion with taxes and DHHR. This is legislation that's already been fulfilled. All it needs to be is enacted. All right, healthy skepticism. Thank you, Randy. We need some of that. Thanks for coming and talking with us on the subject. That brings another day of the 60-day legislative session to a close. Tune in to the legislature today, Monday through Friday at 6. We'll have more news and interviews from the 2023 legislative session. And remember, 
West Virginia Public Broadcasting is covering the session daily in our radio news program, West Virginia Morning, and on our news sites at wvpublic.org. We also broadcast the daily floor sessions of both the House and Senate on the West Virginia channel, and we stream those on YouTube as well. I'm Bob Brunner. Thanks for joining us. Have a great evening. Support for the legislature today is provided by Marshall University, committed to teaching, research, and professional training with degree programs in multiple locations and online. More about the Marshall family at marshall.edu. Embassy Suites by Hilton Charleston, an all-suite hotel and conference center minutes from Yeager Airport and Capital Market. Reservations and brasserie dining information available at hilton.com. Segra, providing fiber-based communication solutions. Segra, freedom to grow. More information at segra.com.